Welcome to episode 51 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. This is, for those of you who are keeping track, the first episode of season three. We try and do 25 episodes a season. Cool note. It's actually my two-year anniversary of being on Probably Polly. Congratulations. Thank it must you. be so wonderful for you. <laughs> I love recording with you all. I love what we do for the community. I love being part of the community. And so I'm very grateful for what we do, smartass. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to do this clarify a couple of times. So I'm just going to start saying after we do our intros, this is being recorded Monday, April 27th, 2020 for any current events or other questions. So if you're like, why didn't you mention this? And it came out after that well that's why that's why we do enough stuff where that makes sense and it'll help you order the episodes if you come across them randomly most of the episodes do assume that you've listened to the other episodes like we try and do background information but we also just be like we often say or as you know or if we do that it means it's in an earlier episode <laughs> before we get to today's main topic did either of you see the argumentative case from the perspective of Disney that COVID-19 isn't a hoax that I posted on Probably Polly's page? No. No, but I want to go see it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I also posted one of my favorite existentialist quotes about monogamous love and its selfishness. Is this you? Is this like your alter ego, Michael? Because it sounds like you. I know, it does. It has a lot of great <laughs> stuff, except for the only thing that doesn't sound like me is that I do not li- list Disney World as being my heart's home no. or even particularly nice so i posted this great thing by at least it's attributed to someone sean and mcguire basically saying that if you were wondering if covid19 is a hoax that they have this really great alternate argument and i'm always talking about how alternate arguments like you have to come at people from the perspective of their cultural background mm-hmm. if you're going to try and get them to listen to you because you're coming in and saying do you believe this do you believe this and you're loading these facts on people and we've talked before about how that's not an effective argumentation strategy if it was they'd already believe Right. So if you believe in facts and science and doctors and literally every medical expert in the country and nurses and doctors and anyone that's remotely associated with facts, you already are taking this whole COVID scenario very seriously. You're staying indoors, you're social distancing, you're only working if you have to outside, you're only going outside when you have to. And if you're not, Disneyland. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're not, you don't believe in those things, right? Uh, And you're concerned that it's some sort of hoax. You know, I've heard stories about like liberal parts of the government trying to force a story that this is more dangerous than it is in order to force the liberal agenda. So sort of the hostile version of what I've said, where I've said, oh, look how great it is that we actually have all these wonderful social policies coming into play that we've always been saying we need. And now we're actually getting to see how they work and how useful they are. People are going, exactly. That's exactly why the liberals are lying about this and making this happen. So this is just the fantastic version of that ultimate argumentation I'm always advocating for. And the claim is Walt Disney World is closed. And that Walt Disney World, (laughs) it's not remotely liberal. It's super conservative. And they are, as the person describes it, basically a finely honed machine for separating people from their money. And Walt Disney World is so powerful, we've discussed on the show before, that they are the entire reason for the way that our intellectual property law works. So intellectual property law used to basically last 15 years after the death of the author, you know, and then Walt Disney died and 15 whatever years later, Mickey Mouse was about to become public domain. And they went out and bought like half of the senators in the country on the intellectual property committee, all 12 of them, I believe. And they spent more than a million dollars each on them and they uh, changed the law. (laughs) And the law changed to being like something like 70 or something like that. No, no, that's 70 now. They did it twice. They've done it twice. 
So they changed it to like 50 years after the death of the author. And then 50 years later, or 35 years later at that point, he was coming up again, and they did the same thing again. You know, they're so powerful that they basically are the entire reason for intellectual property law as it exists in America. And yet they chose to close one of their largest money-making facilities and to not ask for it open. Like, if you don't think that Walt Disney could get Florida to lift the quarantine for them, you're just wrong. Right. Like, <laughs> that company could and absolutely would do that if they thought it would make them money. And as this person says, of course, they're not not doing it probably from the goodness of their heart. They're not doing it because it's the magic kingdom. And if everybody's grandma gets sick and dies from going to the magic kingdom. It's not so magic anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so while Disney is closed because they know that this is actually, they, they studied the problem, they checked the information, and they've decided that it's real. And if it wasn't, Walt Disney World would not be closed. Right. So to your super conservative, almost certainly Walt Disney World loving friends, Remind them that Walt Disney World is closed, and so should they be. Yep. I like that tactic. That is very good. If you want to share it, it is on our Facebook, so probably, uh, I don't know, how do you, what is the fucking mm -hmm. Facebook page? <laughs> I, I don't know how it's linked. It's just, it's I mean, at probably Polly. Does, I know, but it's just like, it's just facebook.com backslash probably Polly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just go to facebook.com backslash probably Polly to see that, and, you know, sign up if you'd like to see more stuff like that. Sometimes I'm not the best at posting, so the good news is you won't get flooded. <laughs> <laughs> You've been posting uh, a little bit extra lately, quarantine and all. Then today's question also actually comes from the Facebook page. Another thing I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and start posting at least a weekly comments post because the stupidest thing about pages on Facebook is that if you try and post something to our page, it goes into the quote unquote community area. So if you go to our page on the left side, seven things down in the toolbar after freaking photos and about and reviews and events and posts at home, it's community. It's community. And if you click that, it will show you a page that looks much like an actual group page where actual members have posted once every three or four months because it's a ghost town that no one can see. So we'd like to get you posting on the actual page where you can see it. So I'm gonna try and make a comment and the comments that everyone can see. But we had a great question in the community page that we are gonna talk about today. We've been trying to choose topics for the COVID stay at home that are both relevant polyamorous topics and maybe a little extra relevant to the situation that we're all in so that we're not spending all of our time talking about stay-at-home orders, but we're also not giving you information you cannot use at all, like how to throw a magnificent party. <laughs> Don't. That's what makes it special. <laughs> Wait a year. Come back later. Right. I do want to encourage people to join us on our Zoom chats. They're a lot of fun. The conversations are great. We get to hear from our listeners and interact with you all, and it's, it's really an awesome time. And all three of us really try to be there for all of them. Every once in a while, we get a hiccup but yeah i do want to encourage you to join us it's a lot of fun yeah, and a couple of people have come to all of them and i'm starting to actually know them by name and face and yeah. mm -hmm. perspective which is really fun to get to know them more directly so they say i would like to hear you discuss the difference between loving or being loved for who i am which they mark as identity versus what i do which they mark as action I'm going to push back a little bit on the who I am as identity, of course, right? Because identity is very complex. How you identify or what your identity is, is who you think you are. So that's your being for yourself. And then there's separately your being for others, which is who other people think you are. Your identity is people perceive it. And then there is your actual being, whatever that is. The phenomena itself. 
which is unknowable in a material sense. Who you are has more facets than identity, I think. Because you get to identify as whatever you want. Yeah. I'm never going to be like, that's not your identity. But identifying as whatever you want isn't how other people see you. And you're talking about here specifically being loved. And presumably you're not being loved for how you identify. You're being loved for how you're perceived by the person that loves you. I was like, I'm having a hard time following up. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me, let me try and say this differently. We want to ask about the distinction between being loved for who you are versus what you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go through the rest of his question and then trickle back to my statement. That might help us clear some of that up. He said he felt like we almost touched on it in a previous episode. We didn't call this out as an actual dis- dichotomy. Can I ask what the difference is? For those that maybe didn't catch our previous episode or... So his original interest in this is he had a former partner tell him that she preferred to be loved for who she is rather than what she did. Because being loved for who she is, she felt made her feel secure. While being loved for what she did made her feel like she had to continuously prove her worth. So to continuously do things. I can see that. For you to be loved. Where they say, meanwhile, it seemed to me... That if I love someone mostly because they are pretty or funny, then those qualities aren't actually about the partnership. They're just sort of objective qualities about that person. I see that too. That and people change. It's one of those things yeah, where I've got to keep up my hair and i got to keep up my waistline in order to be loved still. So. Yeah. Pretty and funny are not things that you are. Those are things that you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Those are, yeah. You know, you get a every day and have to work at being pretty and funny like nobody wakes up and is pretty and funny it might be that those are things you enjoy doing and therefore are things that you feel more confident in so we're going to ask if this distinction even exists he also wants to link in marshall rosenberg's work which if you don't know is the nonviolent communication work yeah if you're not familiar with nonviolent communication i'm not going to try and go through all of it it's actually very similar to a lot of the stuff that we advocate not blaming the other person not taking attacks personally and then trying to de-escalate i believe but it is itself its own complete set of works and philosophies that you can't really summarize in a short time like you'd have to go research it but his takeaway from some of that is that it seems like needs are a key part of how relationships are sustained need meeting which of course yes which would suggest that action is probably important i would also agree with i know mandy would agree since her primary note that she always yells is effort effort what she wants to see is effort (laughs) so for sure for mandy consistent acts of effort are required as part of that need being met to meet those needs which do look different you know it's not like flowers at the door every day effort mm-hmm. looks very different in different spaces and i just want to clarify that that i'm not being high maintenance <laughs> <laughs> and then this person goes on to say though also it is objectifying to regard people as need fulfillment machines mm-hmm. so i'm not going to disagree with any of those specific points right I am actually really curious if there, and Mandy brought this up very quickly, so this is good for you, Mandy, if there is a difference between those things from an existential perspective. Yeah. So existentialists define ourselves by our projects and define identity as being what you are at the at the end, like your sum. Like once you're dead and we go back and look at your whole track of your life and all of the things you ever did in it, that's who you are. Yeah, I mean, who I am is what I put out in the world, which is the things I do. So I don't see the distinction. We'll expand that because I want that claim to be really clear and really well accepted before we move on so that I don't feel like I left people out in the cold. It also goes against the existentialist construct, right? That a person is not specific things. They are not pretty. They are not a waiter. They are not a mom. They are a living possibility in the world that can be anything and change and grow and learn and be different. 
Do you think the argument that the, this person, this uh, commenter's former uh, partner, is intention over deed, that it, and, and, and that's what their take is on a, who I am rather than what I do? You're going to need to expand on that for me. Uh, what's the saying about good intentions? Shit, I can't remember it. The road to hell. This page was good intentions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it that like, okay, I make a lot of mistakes, but I intend to do good? The means outweighing the outcome or the, what's that one? Oh, the, no, that's a different one. That's still the ends justify the means. Yeah, that one. But that's, that's not it. No, no, which, which, I think I know what you're saying. Let me paraphrase this to you and see if this is what you're saying. <laughs> okay. So you're suggesting the distinction between what someone is attempting or wishes or wants or expresses as desiring to accomplish versus what one actually does. Yeah. So like, if you say something like, I want to be kind to you, but then most days just scream at you. You were saying that the distinction here would be that the person wants to be seen as their desire to be kind. Right. The reason I think that is because what what this commenter is saying, the partner was saying, is they felt that the, this constant need for affirming themselves and for uh, validating who they are, proving themselves to the other person. And that that would be an actionable thing. That would be the, the deeds part rather than the intentions. The who I am could potentially mean like your intention behind the, the what I do, um, which is the deeds. So um, even if you can't do the deed of being the kind of person you want to be every day, it's the intention that you want to be loved for. Like she's saying that. Um, she felt she needed to prove her worth if she had people love her for what she did rather than who she was. I could understand why someone might feel like there's this pressure there to constantly be amazing when they're trying to be amazing already. What do you think? If that's the case, he used poor examples because he cites specifically her note for wanting to be liked for being pretty or funny. Oh, I didn't see that part. And see, to me, I feel the opposite. Like, I would much prefer to be known for what I do, what I put out into the world, or be loved for that. I mean, I guess being known sure. or being loved or being remembered or whatever, what have you. For what I put out in the world and, the, like, the way I make people feel and the, the memories created rather than because I got a nice ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess what I'm trying to aim at, though, is that there isn't actually a distinction between those things. Right. I agree. I'm starting with that. I want to move eventually to why you might not prefer to be known for those things, but also that the belief that there's a distinction between those things is an illusion and it is the type of inauthenticity that we're so often fighting in existentialism all the time because, of course, people would rather be thought of as a CEO than examined as a human because when you're examined as a CEO, as long as your business is making more money than last year, even if maybe you're dumping nuclear waste in the middle of the ocean as long as it's legal you're kind of doing well at your job and are a good ceo therefore successful so is it that you prefer that that ruler to be measured on the whole idea in existentialism of self-objectification is that you make of ourselves objects for the same reason that you make other people objects was it is it's more comfortable and it's easier to feel like you have control over the scenario and to provide the illusion of control that doesn't exist over who you are so being pretty has some elements of not just the genetic lottery but the lottery of what your partner thinks about your particular genetic lottery mm -hmm. because you know obviously everyone has different visual preferences being funny i mean to be funny you have to constantly make jokes you're not just funny and have an audience that 
appreciates your humor and know your audience and shit like that. Right. The people have to like your humor and connect with you. So I think what this person's really aiming at, but didn't necessarily have the language for is, I would like to be loved for the things that I'm most confident about as being me. That's probably a very true statement. I feel more secure if you love the things about me that I'm sure I'm going to be able to do tomorrow. So I'm pretty sure tomorrow I'm going to be smart and heavily educated. <laughs> yeah. So she just maybe just feels like there's too much pressure on her? I don't know about that. Because we don't have a lot to work with, so we're kind of assuming a lot here. But, right. And this is the problem, is that he's aiming at a distinction that I don't know that I believe exists, so it's hard for me to come up with examples of some of the things, since there are only examples of the identity constructs. He doesn't have examples of the actions. But, you know, we can infer from the language around the nonviolent communication suggesting that meeting needs as part of how relationships are sustained, that that's the kind of thing that they're talking about. So like giving someone something in their love language, meeting the needs that they've expressed. She's got beef with the fact that maybe he loves her because she rubs his feet every night. But yes, I think it's a simplified version, but yes. Yeah, I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make that distinction. She feels like that maybe he loves her because... She rubs his feet every night, but she would prefer to be loved because she's pretty because that's what I'm hearing is because it's less pressure because then she doesn't have some type of continuous proof that she has to provide. Like she has to continue rubbing his feet every night, whereas he feels like that has more to do with the relationship than the fact that she's pretty or funny. I'm not sure what the specific things that she was thinking of about continuously proving her worth were, but I see no way in which any personality virtue that you can talk about is not a constant system. I see because that's that's kind of part of who she is. Say the feet rub thing. She's a giving person. I mean, obviously that's what she wants to give to him. So she's a caring nurturer, you know what I mean? She's she's one of those kind of people. So I think that that's part that is part of who she is though it's someone who wants to rub his feet every night right so i think there's still more going on here if i was pushed to try and explain this distinction that, that she's aiming at i would wonder if it wasn't rooted in the phenomenon we've talked before about like doing shit i don't want to do for you so that you'll do shit you don't want to do for me mm. this, that feels like this this might be rooted in some of that and that that because i think that she's mis interpreting things that she just wants to do for herself like be kind if she's kind be pretty if she's pretty be funny if she's funny as things that are about her and then doing things that she hates doing or doesn't want to do or dislikes doing or just because she thinks he wants her to do them mm -hmm. right she would not do them on her own she's mm -hmm. doing them just because she thinks he would like them as being the things about what she does and then feeling a constant pressure to do things that are stressful and unpleasant to you for the other person to feel happy so you think that the communication is hacked a little bit like it's not that maybe she doesn't know how to communicate what she's feeling that's how it's coming out is that it's I mean, yes and no. A lot of the way that we communicate is based on the lens through which we perceive the world and the lens through which you perceive the world can be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. Because if you think that being funny is just part of who you are, you know, there's a reason that if you don't work in a field for five years, you have to go get your degree again or like do two years of work in the field to be considered relevant. Even knowledge isn't something you think of as actually you've internalized, doesn't stay relevant. Yeah. Like it has to be constantly worked with. I work on this ass all all the time <laughs> like this ass doesn't just get like this yeah like exactly like that's the thing that's crazy to me is it's like <laughs> the bell curve being what it is there are talents that you're going to have 
sometimes for some people that are maybe less work for you. I think it's about one of two things. I either think it's about being liked for the things that she's confident she'll always be able to do and which she has thus attached in her own mind as part of her identity in a sort of self-objectifying way. As long as I'm pretty and funny, I'm a good person deserving of love. Mm. And I'm sure I can be pretty and funny. Or it's related to the, again, and this is not her fault. This is a common thing. Like we're, I, I know we talked about this before. We were all taught that you're supposed to do stuff just because the other person wants you to. Mm-hmm. She's separating one of those two things out here, maybe both. I don't think the language is accurately, in philosophy, we call this capturing the object. That when you're trying to talk about something, you have to define the thing that you're trying to talk about in a clear way that people can't get confused about when trying to separate conceptual objects from each other. Um, This is actually a little triggering for me in a weird way. I almost think this dude is bitching about her. That in this context, I mean, he says that she had to continuously prove her worth, that that's the way that she felt. She had to, I mean, that's what I felt in my relationship when I was being abused, is that I had to continually prove my worth. I'd even talk to him about the idea of like, look, I mean, I'm trying, I'm doing what I can. But he felt like what I was doing was not good enough. And so then the next line, and meanwhile, it seemed that if I loved her for being pretty, that that had nothing to do with our relationship, which could potentially, like, maybe I'm reading into this, but feels more like the only thing that she that mattered about her was what she was doing. How could anything else be important? Am I reading that wrong? Now that I've read it all the way through, this feels like almost red flaggy. Am I misreading that? Not necessarily. I do think anytime anyone, and I assume myself included, talks or posts about an ex, especially part of a relationship that they just did not understand, it probably comes off mm-hmm. that way because you're getting the one side of it and not the other right okay. we're not even naming this person no one has post commented back on this going screw you so i'm hoping that the you know if the partner is a listener and they see this and they feel like that their side was you know that that, that is what happened that they would feel free to to write us and that we would be able to you know weigh in on their side as well if they felt that way mismatch of values is pretty much why relationships end right right Absolutely. So obviously there's a mismatch of something here. And I do agree with your note because the note, those qualities don't have anything to do with our partnership to me is also ridiculous. You're telling me that your baseline level of attractiveness to all the work that she puts in to be attractive has nothing to do with the relationship. Like it obviously does. Right. You're not dating someone that you find completely unattractive, I don't imagine. And that can't have nothing to do with your, but he says here it doesn't have to do with our partnership, not relationship. So, but the problem with the language here is that we use the word partnership to mean relationship of a partnered variety right so i talk about being with my partners Mm -hmm. obviously part of that partnership is sexual right which is not always the case and being funny i think is part of your partnership i don't think being funny is without effort you put yourself out there people may not Mm -hmm. laugh at you you have to be witty you have to think of things that are funny to say you have to sort of hone that wit check you know like you know it's not easy to be funny otherwise everyone would be a stand-up comedian or we wouldn't have stand-up comedians because everyone would just be dying laughing every day and not need to go to a restaurant and see a stand-up comedian i'm trying to dissolve the line between the two my point is that there isn't a line between these two things that the the idea that there's a distinction here is not the right distinction that people create these categories to hide from distinctions they don't want to see i would agree with that and that goes for both this person and the other person in this situation because this person may be hiding from the fact that that person put a lot of work into being pretty and funny and that they were discounting it as not counting towards the relationship for some reason whereas the other person might have been hiding from the fact that they didn't want to do whatever the minimum amount of work was in the relationship and i don't know the nature of the relationship you know for you guys know and i've said before that i often i do a lot of checking of my partner partner 
to make sure that they feel like my presence in their life doesn't make it more work for them. Because I know that I basically do the bare minimum as far as maintaining my own existence because I'm so much more interested in these other pursuits that are not necessarily compensated or legible as being worth money in our society. Mm -hmm. And that for the people who do see those things, they still see even more important things. So like our listeners might think, well, what you're doing is important and I'd love to donate, but also I could donate to saving people's lives in Africa. And actually I would be like, yeah, save the people in Africa. Please, yeah. And I think the work that I do is important. And I, you know, obviously I I wouldn't do it. (laughs) It's a very confusing scenario. So I think that you end up in, I think that there's some of that going on here, right? Where there's an issue here where I do think that that person was feeling pressured to do things that they didn't want to do. I'm not saying bad pressure. I'm not saying inappropriate pressure. I'm not saying even pressure that couldn't have been solved with the right kind of conversation. And I'm not even saying that pressure came from their partner. It might have come entirely internally. They might feel like, well, if I don't do this, this or this. And there are those different needs. Like roommates are like that. My house is the kind of house really where it's nice if you clean up after yourself. But the expectation is that when you get to a working space, you'll have to clean it up enough to use it for yourself. And if everyone does that, it's totally fair. Mm -hmm. If anytime you go to the kitchen, it may or may not be clean. But if it isn't clean, you just clean up enough to use your own workspace. And then you don't have to clean after yourself if you don't want. The next person will do that. Because the next person is going to clean it. Yeah. Yeah. totally fair works completely for everybody and we're all of that kind of people we're all very like in the moment so we're like oh god i need to eat right now and i have time to cook cool oh i guess i can clean while i'm cooking we're not the kind of people that like after we've cooked and we've done all the work we're like well i'm really tired and i have this fresh food i'm totally gonna stop and clean up the dishes you know or even remember like usually we're always behind on everything like we barely get dinner on table in time for bedtime you know so Mm -hmm. that's just not what it's going to be and we had a roommate for a while who we liked very much and uh who we're still very close friends with who was the kind of person that felt that if the kitchen was not completely clean, they couldn't cook in it at all for any reason, that it was just too much of a burden to cook in a dirty kitchen. So they would always clean up mess that they made, but they refused to clean up any mess that anyone else made because they felt like that's not my mess, it's not my fault. And obviously that's not a commentary on that person being right or us being right, but that did not work out. Right. They ended up just never cooking and feeling constantly resentful of us for quote you know using the kitchen wrong stopping them from being able to cook making it impossible for them to be able to cook etc which Mm. i mean that's how my parents are my parents are absolutely that way my dad will not clean until everything is completely clean in the kitchen first which was a lot of the tension for me living at home (laughs) was that i was not good with that and they felt like i was kind of like that's actually the opposite of how i work <laughs> yeah right and the, and and, 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 and rightly they would sort of feel like right. i used them as sort of like the dish fairy because i would just leave the dishes and i'd come back and they'd be magically gone and i was like that's cool I want a dish and fairy. cooking was really easy because <laughs> the dishes always just got done somehow mm-hmm. magically you know so it may just be a compatibility issue where the things that this person wanted were things that for the other person were highly effortful and like i said my issue my concern with my partner is i'll say like i worry that i don't do enough because because I do a lot of really flighty things. But like, if you come to my house, all of the things that make my house like really exciting are things that I did. If you're like, oh wow, there's a really cool porch garden that we teach our kid how to grow farm vegetables and have farm to table food. Like that is 100% my work. Or the, all of the artwork in the house is my work. Or literally everything that we ever do that's fun, more or less, was my plan. My kid's playroom, climbing centers, bubbles, like 
anything that's like sort of whimsical and fun and you know my partner used the term you make our life magical and like that's very valuable to me that is you know and to me that is effortless like that i could get up and do every day and never have to do anything because that's just such a core interest of mine that i don't feel the work but it's also part of who you are Mm -hmm. that's kind of that argument that we were making is that that is part of who you are is is that you you love doing that so that's part of who you are like that's yeah right but also like i don't think that she loves getting up and doing banal chores like dishes or going to work and waiting on people to make money but she likes providing the support that allows me to make the things in our life that she sees as magical and doesn't as much enjoy doing that stuff. She does enjoy being a provider, right? Correct. Yeah. It's just a different word that she prefers. You know what I mean? As opposed to server or you know what I'm saying? But this is my point. I think there's not a who I am versus what I do distinction because you are what you do. Mm -hmm. There is no who you are without what you do. Unless you're literally an animal. Mm -hmm. If you are just a body that you have no strings attached sex with, for instance. And even then, that still might be a lot of who you are because you might choose to work out or brush your hair a certain way or maintain a certain difficult hairstyle or maintain a difficult uh, dress style. So unless you're like the kind of person that you never did any work or effort and the other person just finds you incredibly attractive for some reason, and then it's a no strings attached, just sex kind of scenario, it's never just your objective sense. It's always more who you are, what you do. Yeah. It's always the you in action because we're beings that exist in action. That's how you see a person is by their projects. So then the distinction for me here that's probably actually getting aimed at is I want to be loved for my projects and not loved for supporting your projects. She wants to be loved for the things that she wants to do and not what's expected of her. Because I could definitely identify with that. I definitely want to be loved and, yeah. and cared about for who I am and the things that I want to put out in the world and not what's expected of me to do. The thing I was trying to say earlier is why I can identify with this as well is because my ex-husband, with my comment about this being a little red Mm -hmm. flaggy, he had these expectations of me that were real toxic. So that's why I can identify it from both perspectives, I guess. Right. So I think it's being liked for what you would like to provide versus what the other person would like you to provide is actually sort of the distinction here. Like, yeah, I like that. You know, we talk a lot about when you're dating someone, what you should really say is here's what I can offer. That's what I try and give myself that advice constantly. Like when I'm meeting someone, I say, here's what's on offer. Is that good for you? Right. (laughs) Being liked or loved for what you can offer and not maybe what is wanted about that no so i don't want to use that language because this person obviously was offering at some level and in some amount to do the things the person asked them to do right sarah was trying to do the things that were asked of her even though she did not like them so she was offering to do those things but the distinction here is whether you wanted to offer them you want to be liked for the things that you want to offer the things that you're most happy giving right not for the things that you don't want to offer yeah is for me what's probably going on here most likely i would agree with that i don't know that this is the answer that the the post wanted but oh i doubt this is the answer the post wanted because most people when they have a question like this the answer they want is something like you're right they want to be validated yeah actions are super important but you know the good news is they are sort of right because it's one in the same yeah so the other person is sort of right too yeah well because i don't think there is a person outside of action right but i think that the things that this person thinks are who that person is is also actually action right being attractive to a partner is an action it definitely takes work you can be better at it you can be worse at it. You talk about this a lot actually inside of the space of attraction. Like if you're dating someone who doesn't want to bathe as regularly as you want them to bathe, that's nobody's problem, but it's definitely not a 
compatibility. Right. Mm-hmm. No one should be bathing every day just because you want to unless they enjoy bathing right. for you. Because obviously there are people that get off on that too and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like if they don't want to bathe every day and like every day you're like you stink and I'm mad that you don't bathe, like that's just a toxic right. relationship. You're both going to feel bad about that the whole time. Mm-hmm. If you want to shave and they don't want you to shave or if they want you to shave and you don't want to shave. Compatibility issue. Yep. You know, and there obviously are things in between where there are people who just really don't care. Like I enjoy playing with what I look like and how I do my hair, but I don't really care. If my partners wanted me to dress a certain way, I just would. It doesn't matter that much right. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I never wanted a beard unless I liked beards. Now beards are part of my identity, but I don't. Like ironically, now I'm actually attached enough to my beard that I don't know that I would want to have no beard. Uh, even if she changed her mind. Which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You don't like the no beard? Uh... Yeah, I've seen him no shave with with no facial hair, and I much prefer the beard. Not that my opinion matters. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, I don't know. I have a little bit of ego, but no, I do. I think I look better with a beard. I think it's more coherent, to be honest, with my sort of overall approach to life. It goes with his shtick. Carrying heavy sticks and building berms for growing food (laughs) and stuff. Just canning my own goods. I don't know. It just feels very... It's very mountain men-like appropriate <laughs> you need plaid shirts you need flannel plaid no i hate flannel and i hate plaid so don't <laughs> don't do it ratty t-shirts that's what michael looks good in a vest over a ratty t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> sorry all right go ahead yeah no but you know but so for the most part i definitely dress performatively i dress for other people which is fine if that's what you like the rowdy t-shirts is what i dress in because it's just it's the easiest and the cheapest and it's the most environmentally friendly and those are the mm-hmm. things that i care about i don't want to have to work extra work that i don't have to do when i could be thinking i don't think that what shirt i wear matters to my value but i know a lot of people that you know would love to see their partner in a suit pretty much all the time so that would be one of those things where i would have a hard time offering that because i used to try and dress nice and then once a week i would ruin it like a 60 dollars shirt because i would forget that i was wearing it and start painting right because that's what i do and then my shirt would be covered in paint i'd be like damn or i'd try to go to work and forget to take my shirt off and realize it but not have a backup shirt and then what lose two hours mm-hmm. driving home and changing which is also 60 dollars <laughs> It was, mm. <laughs> it was just very painfully expensive. And I was like, eh. This is so much economic. You know, but if I did date a partner who was like, I will buy you an infinite wardrobe. You just have to wear it. I'd be like, okay. What is? <laughs> yeah. All right, I can I can learn how to you know do that, and so I think it's sort of like you know you have the three things. There's the things that that you see as being what you uniquely add to the world, and I want to call that projects from an existentialist lens. Your projects. There are the things that honestly aren't a lot of effort, but you don't care about one way or the other. I don't really have a word for that. And then there are things that are just heavy heavy work for you that you don't want to do. And basically, compatibility between two people is just figuring out how closely your projects mm-hmm. align with their needs. Yeah. And so I think what was actually happening in this question was that there was a distinct misalignment between one person's needs and another person's projects. And that made the person whose projects weren't meeting the other person's needs feel like their position was tenuous, which is true because you, it means you have to constantly do yeah. emotion breaking effort to please your partner. And if you are in the kind of relationship where you feel that you're constantly doing emotion breaking effort to please your partner, that is not the kind of relationship you ought to be in. Right. And again, that's not a judgment on anyone in that relationship. It's one of those situations where either there's a fundamental mismatch and compatibility, or you need to have a deep conversation about why the person expects things from you that make you miserable. Because I think sexual expectations are in that same ballpark. Like I know people that love giving oral sex and I know people who hate giving oral sex. So if you are a person for whom getting oral sex is a huge part of who you are and you're with a partner who 
hates giving oral sex, that's going to be a really hard relationship because there's no way for that partner to not always feel like you kind of resent them for not giving you oral sex. And honestly, I think there's no way to not kind of resent them for not giving you oral sex. Yeah. I think that's a really hard position to be in. Yeah. And so you can have that conversation and you can go, well, do you really dislike it? Could you like it for this? Could you like it if we do this? Or should we look at transitioning our relationship to a stage that doesn't require me to feel like we should be having this kind of sex. Yeah. So I think this brings up a really good question because a lot of people do think that there are static features about people and then there are activities. We don't think that that's true. Right, yeah. Existentialism doesn't think that that's true. All of my research doesn't suggest that that is true. That there is not static things about you that are just you. Anybody I've ever known for five years looks totally different than they looked five years ago. Five years ago, I was clean shaven, had like one inch long hair, very normative male guy looking person now i have shaved side of my head long hair beard ratty t-shirts like (laughs) this is very very different completely different look than five years ago most people for sure yeah and then another five years back and another five years back so the idea that your looks are static is is not it's not accurate they're performative now if your looks stay static it's because you're making the same performance but you get up every day and you reset Mm -hmm. that static situation it's like lawns nobody has an evenly trimmed green lawn with no weeds that didn't work on it yep. mm-hmm. that never just happened right and even in the situation where you have like a beautiful mountain pass full of wild plants and stuff a huge amount of effort went into that just not on the part of like person tilling that particular mm-hmm. area right and a better continued metaphor for that of course is in anyone's house space whatever their yard looks like almost certainly effort went into it if you look at that yard and go oh that's a really cool yard regardless of if it looks like it's all wildflowers or cactuses or grass or whatever it looks like if it looks like something that you're like oh that's really cool if it's speaking to you it's probably because someone put in effort to make it speak to you and it's just that different people like different effort i know people that love lawns who are like your no lawn weird farm approach is terrible i know Mm. people like me who hate lawns because I think that they're a destructive monoculture that saps the energy of the entire population for absolutely no reason and the opulent display of wealth, which benefits nobody. <laughs> I love that. That sentence sentence just like rang to me. And yet I can respect the amount of effort that goes into having a really nice looking yard. I only do it because I have to. Well, and I also understand that most people are actually literally forced into it Mm. by homeowners associations and insane capitalist restrictions that are focused more on the sales value of the house and the use value of the house Mm -hmm. for the occupants. But now I have really gone off course. (laughs) Lost our last one conservative listener. (laughs) Come back! Come back! I love it. It's great. Yeah, so I I think that there just is no you apart from what you do. The only you that exists apart from what you do is the you that exists after you die. When you're just a memory, yeah. You know, when you're dead and everyone looks back and says, here's who this person's life was, then you are the things that you were. But humans are not static beings, so there is no who I am. Versus what I do, yeah. I mean, at best, who you are is a projection of what you're most likely to do based on what you have historically most likely done. Yeah, fair. So if someone's like, oh, that person's the guy that likes that talks about polyamory, 
camera. That's just all I've done. Right. I could tomorrow never pick up the microphone again. I could never record another episode. I could walk away. I definitely sometimes <laughs> fantasize about that. I'm like, I'm going to go write some fucking children's books and mm. uh, just hang out in a corner and do illustrations and make bubbles. So then I'm suddenly not that person, right? So to be like, well, he's that person. He's not. I'm not. What makes me that person is that I get up every day and choose to be that person again. When people talk about relationships are getting up every day and choosing to be in that relationship. That's also the relationship with yourself. It's also being a person. Mm -hmm. So I think that I would have pushed back on that distinction entirely and gone, all right, so you're feeling pressure from me to do something that you don't want to do because that's what's going to cause that kind of insecurity and pain and resentment is the the fact that that person was not sure they could meet the needs that that other person had. Right. Right. You know, and those needs can be very legitimate. They might have been financial, for instance, like we share a house and I need you to make your share of the rent, especially if there were very different earning potentials that can be very, very stressful. And yet it's a legitimate need. You can't stay in a relationship where you can't right. afford your house together. And if you're the kind of person that wants a certain kind of house that requires more income than you can afford per person, then you need partners who want to make income with you. So shared vision, right? Shared goals are a big part of relationships. If you're not sharing those goals, you don't have, again, mm-hmm. that, it's projects, right? It's just shared projects. It's just that your projects weren't lining up and you didn't have the language to talk about how your projects weren't lining up and to see if you could bring your projects into alignment. And instead you talked about it as the things I do for you, right? where that basically means things I don't do for me. I definitely talk a lot about, I don't know if I talk a lot about on this show, but I, I used to use the language a lot and I, I kind of walked, we got away from it because this just takes a lot of fighting with people, but the language a lot that people can only act selfishly. It's literally impossible yeah. to not act in your own self-interest. It, you just you cannot. Yeah. When I do things that I think will make my partner happy though, I do them because of the experience of pleasure that I will receive from seeing them happy. And I am most likely to do those sorts of things which cost me the least emotional energy to do to the greatest emotional gain. So left to my own devices, I am going to sit around and do random things to make my house feel magical because those are the kind of things that I know will make her happy that also are not hard for me that I enjoy doing that make me happy. But there are some things like I have a particular debate and legal expertise, so I might be called upon to help with a legal problem that we have, and I might find that very, very stressful to do. You can have the conversation and say, you're better at it than I am. I would like you to do it if you can, but if you can't do it, that's also okay. And for a lot of stressful things, it's a lot easier to do them if you don't have to. So like, if you're told you must do this, it's hard to get up and do it. Um, We know that about changing your diet, about changing exercise, just tons and tons and tons of research, that you are much more likely to stick with a diet program if it's not required. That if someone's like, you have to lose this weight, you have to eat this way versus you going, well, these are the goals I set for myself and I don't have to eat that way, but I could, you know, then you're much more likely to do it. Which is why cheat days are so important for those kinds of plans to achieve those specific goals. And I think it's going to be the same thing here. Like when there's something very difficult, I'm having extra emotional difficulty with conflict. I don't like conflict, which is why I specialized in ethics. I like resolving Mm -hmm. conflict and people, everyone being happy and people not hurting each other. So when I have to engage the bureaucratic capitalist machine is problematic because the bureaucratic capitalist machine is set up to use conflict to keep people distant so that they don't work together against the capitalist owning capital owning class. So basically when I have to call up my doctor and say, no, it's been three, four, five months, four months, and we still haven't paid you because we're waiting to hear on our outcome from Medicare, why are you sending this to collections? that person feels attacked because they don't want to feel like the kind of bad person that sends, you know, a family that needs help to collections. And so the way that they deal with that is by Mm -hmm. villainizing us. 
and creating a mental block in their own head like these are people that chose to do something that was expensive and not have the money for it what a bad couple they are so they you know it's their fault for not having the money for it and that's, that's the entire system and so and I have to engage that it's really hard for me especially when I'm stressed and so we have a lot of that to deal with right now because everybody has to apply for unemployment and everyone has to apply for Medicaid and so when we get into a snag it actually was really helpful I'll go over with my partner all the talking points I'm going to use and I'll say I'm going to call and I'm going to try and do this but if I can I need you to right and if they say okay I can do that it's a lot easier for me to do it bizarrely knowing that I don't have to than it is if they're like I can't do it you've got to be the one then it becomes impossible and I hide from it and I won't do it for weeks at a time and I you know and I run from it so I you know I think there might have been the ability to work this these these issues out but I do think these issues stem from you usually I language like I want you to do x for me I need you to do this for me there are some things that I used to joke about with this early on that you know I we don't even talk about them they become such static structures but you know when we first started dating I love getting massages and Lisa would be like yeah I'll give you a massage and she'd like massage my shoulders <laughs> for like two minutes and then be like I'm done. <laughs> and I'd be like, that's worse than not even getting a massage. Right. It's such a tease. Yeah, it's terrible. Or like she'd start and then like like one hand would stop and one hand would sort of like vaguely be touching my back. And I'd be like, what's going on? She'd, oh, I got distracted. <laughs> that completely sounds like Lissa to you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, clearly massage is not your thing, you know, and every, every now and then she'll be like, I'm in the mood to give you a massage, but I I just, I don't ask, you know, even if I'm really hurt, I don't ask, like, unless I'm like crying in pain and there's no other alternative and it's like an actual sort of pseudo emergency, I won't ask. And, you know, it's like, if that was a thing that you needed to feel good, then that wasn't ever going to work. Right. So I hope that answered your question. I know it didn't answer it in the direct (laughs) this versus that kind of way. Although that is rarely what we do. And you said that you liked our show. So hopefully you knew that that was coming. You knew this was going to be difficult, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I probably like difficult topics. If I didn't think your topic was difficult, I probably wouldn't do it. You'd get a letter that just answered your question. I do sometimes get questions that seem really easy. And I'm just like, here's the answer. And I send it back to you. (laughs) Because I think there's a lot of shows that do the very high level surface sort of at a glance kind of stuff. And we try and focus on getting to the root of what's actually underpinning what's happening Mm -hmm. and the ethics therein. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think that if you are out there, not not you, the listener, but this the proverbial you, people in general are listening to this and you're thinking, I have a partner that will never do what I ask them to do. You might want to consider Sarah's warning that maybe you are behaving inappropriately because if you're constantly mad at your partner for not meeting your needs, you're probably the problem. It might be an incompatibility that you shouldn't be with that person, but the fact that you're angry at them for not being the person you want them to be. It says something. Yeah. It needs it needs addressing. The exception to that exception being that that person keeps telling you, I'm going to do this, I promise I'm going to do this, and then letting you down on purpose. So they're they're misrepresenting what they're willing or wanting to do. You know, it could easily be the situation in this case as well. Yeah. But I was just sort of reminding, giving voice to Sarah's triggering read, which is that she experienced similar scenarios, and for her, they were abusive. Mm-hmm. For me, is always something that I would want to check. I'm telling a story of mine to someone, and they go, you know, that would be abusive if it was me. That, would, that, that stops me pretty cold. This is a hard line to walk. I don't want to say anyone's doing anything wrong. I do want to say you should check to see if you're doing something wrong. I mean, I think you should always check to see if you're doing something wrong. Yes. And I hope that we read it as well as we could. You know, the nice thing is 
now you can I'll let this person know that we did the episode on it and you can write us back <laughs> and they can clap back at us <laughs> and we've done this we've done whole episodes and then the person wrote back and goes that was not at all what I was talking about and it was still a good episode right. and I learned a lot but not about any of the topics that I was interested in because I said it differently than you understood it <laughs> but we tried and we got to answer their question again differently either in a different episode I've actually done two episodes on one person's question before yeah. or we wrote them back a letter and was like okay well we don't want to do the episode twice we don't want to confuse people but here's the answer that you with your clarifications here's our answer for your question yeah. and if we didn't help you i hope we helped somebody yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't have done the episode if i didn't think you're gonna help somebody but i think it is a good question though because people definitely have identity behavior elements and they have behaviors they do they go oh that's not part of who i am and i think that's important in the other direction too everything you do is part mm-hmm. of who you are so if you're like well i do all these awful things but that's not who i am i am a father i am a business owner and yeah I do some you know unfortunate things to make those things work but those aren't who I am those are the exceptions they're still also who you are all of what you do is who you are but you should be trying to live the life that expresses most your values and so if someone's constantly asking you to do work that you don't value and that you feel to be a waste of your life then that is not work you should be doing should reevaluate that relationship. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Bye.